Hey guys, what's up? Trey back here at Trail. Welcome back to another episode of the True Blue Show. Last time you heard from us, we had just finished up the Leicester game. So um, with we had a midweek game with Southampton that did not go in our favor. We lost 2-1, which was a very disappointing result. And I think that um, that was a game we all looked at with how Southampton is going um, and really thought that we were going to win it. But also recently, um, we had just faced West Ham on the weekend and beat them 2-1 pretty barely. It's a very controversial back-and-forth game, which uh, we'll have a lot of stuff to get over. And then we also were facing Dynamo Zagreb in our first game of the Champions League group stage this week. I am joined today by a good old friend of mine, one of my original friends on FT, and one guy who's actually fairly close to me in the States, which is pretty nice. I um, always like to connect to him, and we're always fairly good friends for FIFA, even though FIFA normally just tears everyone apart but i'm always happy to um have on andreas my buddy how are you doing man i'm doing much better than i was doing before the west ham match so that's good news yeah that uh that southampton game kind of ruined us but i mean you should still be on a pretty high didn't something cool happen to you lately yeah i've uh i got married about three weeks ago now so that was pretty nice obviously got to Married my best friend, perfect day, perfect honeymoon. And then I come back to the real world and Southampton happens. So, you know, it's, okay. uh, I could only stay in cloud nine for so long. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sad thing. Chelsea is just in one of those seasons where no matter what's going on, when it gets to the weekend, everyone's waiting for the weekend. All of a sudden, Chelsea just humbles us back to feeling like it's Monday. <laughs> god but yeah let's uh let's talk about some things so last time um i was on here i was talking about lester and it was right before the transfer window ended so since then we saw three big signings we saw fofana get solidified Aubameyang and zakaria made right at the deadline Aubameyang on a permanent and zakaria on a loan with an option to buy for about 30 million um we'll just say pounds pounds or euros um they're always fairly close together but um Fofana, everyone's talked about a lot. I think it's fairly unanimous that everyone's pretty excited about Fofana. But give me your thoughts on what you thought about Aubameyang and Zakaria at the deadline. Well, I think that the Aubameyang signing was going to happen. It's been rumored for like two, three weeks now. I think it's still just a short-term solution. Uh, If Tuchel wasn't the current manager, I'd be kind of afraid of what bringing in a personality like Aubameyang to this locker room that lacks sort of a consistent spine and presence uh would do um but with Tuchel being quoted saying something along the lines of like you know players come and go but some players stay your players after they've left you makes me think that he knows how to manage Aubameyang I also know that Aubameyang has sort of a chip on his shoulder based on how things ended. Obviously, the all or nothing did him zero favors because it was always going to be a pro-Arsenal message. So Mm -hmm. I think that although it sounds off when I hated hearing the exact same words he used when Lukaku's first interview where he said, I have unfinished business in the Premier League, I think this time around, I believe it. I think that Aubameyang being a little bit older then Lukaku, his words may have a little bit more depth to them. And he has had actual success in the Premier League in a top side, not just when playing for a sort of the underdog like Lukaku did. Um, 
if Tuchel can get him to press, then I think that's a great short-term solution while Broja adapts or or the next greatest striker rises because it was sort of a dry market for out-and-out nines this summer. Now, Sakaria, that one screams a little bit of desperation. I'm not going to lie. I think that you know people are very quick to say it's a Saul 2.0. Uh, I don't think it'll be as grim as that. And I also don't want to go ahead and say it'll be a Kovacic 2.0. I think if things play well, it will be one of those signings that we can just make at a cheaper deal. But one thing's for sure. It means that Tuchel is trying to play with a true uh, sort of DM to protect a midfield and potentially switch to a midfield three with a back four long term because we saw links to Alvarez, we saw links to Sangare all in the in the end of the window, and it looks like Sangare will happen, or not Sangare, excuse me, Alvarez will happen in January. So this, the way I see the Zakaria move is is what's, what's to come for a long-term plan. So it may not be the name we all wanted. I was dying for Edson Alvarez, and being a USA fan, we all know what kind of a bastard he is in midfield, which we severely lack. But knowing that that's the profile we're looking for honestly just gives me a lot of hope because we have so much talent at the eight position that is being misused or forced to do a different role, which either limits their progression into what talent the players can become, like a Gallagher, or it limits where they should be in their in their current level like a mason mount where he should be a little bit deeper but not in a pivot so overall i feel good i just think like we need to be patient and understand now i finally do see what the plan is in the long term a lot of great things said there some very similar thoughts on the um the usage of our eights kind of being misprofiled in midfield and how they were being kind of forced into a pivot or out on the wing just no in between which is their ideal position in an eight but then again we never actually had a right dm profile to come in so um when you kind of look at the depth of every position uh, on our team you really should have two good players there it almost exactly how we have chiwell and kukurea now almost in a perfect competition with each other we need that for every type of position. And with, when you come look at DM, you really can't even put Jorginho in that conversation. You, you actually had zero people in it because Jorginho is the most offensive midfielder you have, but he's not a DM. There's a difference. And there is a difference in that. And I had been for, for a long time pushing the whole 4-3-3, the three midfield agenda, because I was saying we have more effective eights and midfielders than we do wingers. So why are we pushing a formation where it has less midfielders and also a formation where less of them can be used in and we're all pushing these uh not even in natural and you know it was even a formation which our wingers which we had more of than midfielders weren't super comfortable in they're and they're not even playing like their normal wide out formation like you like ziet who likes playing far out on the right to the touchline you have like sterling pulisic who likes to come in from the wing and dribble in but this new formation didn't really either suit our attack or our midfielders it really just suited, suited our wingbacks and our defenders, which kind of explains why we've really suffered an attack for a good while. It's not been any kind of um, mystery, but a lot of good things um, you mentioned, I kind of just want to touch on bits and pieces. I'll start with Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang is, there's a good thing and a bad thing that can, um, is, is like a sign I got from this. 
one good thing is you said yes he did have success in a top a six side um something lukaku just never really did that much he's proved before he can be a top goal scorer and also and when he was at barcelona recently it's not like he was doing nothing like sitting on the bench he was actually doing well for them he was scoring and you could just hear from Xavi's quotes that he was kind of disappointed because it looked like a bombing was really going to help them but with Lewandowski coming in obviously probably not too much um play time comes for him unless they wanted to play him off the wing or something but but the other thing that kind of strikes me um on the opposite end of that because i feel like he's still in fairly good form and still like he's performing granted la liga is a different type of uh playground now for them um the tuchel comments and kind of tuchel's connection with him from his past from dortmund worries me while uh, some people would say it seems positive because this is Tuchel's man. This Tuchel knows how he is. He likes him, and Tuchel specifically wanted him. Well, who else did we say that about? Pulisic. We thought Pulisic and um, and Tuchel were going to have this great connection from Dortmund together, and he knew how to use t- um, Pulisic. But it feels like that relationship has really gone sour over like the, the past year or so that Tuchel has been here, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the difference is that Pulisic was here prior to Tuchel, right? So that's what people wanted to happen instead of what might be the reality that Tuchel always thought that Pulisic was an outside mid wing back option always because that's where he did get his debut for Dortmund. And it wasn't till after Tuchel left that he became part of that front three. So and, and as well, Dembele surpassed Pulisic during Tuchel's time. Just it's something to think about. Obviously, the familiarity people thought, and, and especially us that are Americans thought, oh, this is the greatest thing ever when we might have had our our bias kind of hide the fact that he always was sort of a super sub for Tuchel. And then it doesn't help that our midfield never existed. So it was never going to be the 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 that Pulisic has thrived in both at club and national level. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a little different because Tuchel didn't saw, seek out Pulisic's help in a transfer while he was very adamant about signing Aubameyang as a good opportunity. Um, I also think, speaking of familiarity, something that many people may not think about is that Tuchel did face Sakaria a lot in the Bundesliga. And I think that Juve really misplayed him in a, in a far more advanced role than he should have been. So I'm hoping that that sort of familiarity is, is sort of a, the sneaky way we were able to beat Liverpool for Zakaria signing is that in the Liverpool system, he would have had to play more as an out and out eight because Fabinho is healthy and irreplaceable while at Chelsea, he would get to play more of a six slash eight rather than an eight slash ten. So, um, yeah, just another sort of positive about Tuchel's time in Germany. No, and definitely that's a good uh, transition to Zakaria because Zakaria definitely is a much better profile um, than we like. When you look at him right now, he's basically what we could need if like he fits the true lone DM rule, very mobile, good on the ball, and can just break up a counterattack for us especially when we're deploying a back four and i think um like we've seen with uh probably zagreb um this week we might end up playing a back four because we saw silva is not included in the match day squad that traveled with them obviously he's been playing like every minute this season so far which is something we can't do too frivolously 
or else it's going to result in him just being um hurt or just tired. You can see him just in regular games. He's going down. We're actually dying on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, actually. And so it's um it's good to see that um he's getting some needed rest, especially when Zagreb is like what we said about South End before, but it's a level opponent you would think we should be able to handle, but a day in Croatia against uh, a fully healthy Zagreb and a full stadium, it's definitely not something to just shove off to the side too easily. But I definitely think, and I'm not saying Zakaria is going to start because I think it'd be too um, early to start, but um, it'd be a good time if, say, we find ourselves in 2-0 lead to maybe give him 20, 30 minutes on the pitch and go to a um, a mid-three but I think we'll start with a Jorginho Kovacic pivot in the game. But I think it would be the best time to deploy him there and see what it works. And I think Koulibaly and Fofana being the two centered um, defensive is what you're going to see. It's going to be a good it's going to be a good pairing. So I think when you look at Zakaria, it's a low risk, high reward situation because of the loan with no obligation. And not to mention his price is only 30 million. If we, he works out well, if he stays healthy and he's amazing, like he was at Munch and Gladbach at some points, we we might have just gotten a steal. We might have just stolen one uh, a huge asset because, not to mention that, I don't think any real first team player we got for thirty million or less, right? Nobody came into or sorry, we got a bombing, but a bombing was kind of a different scenario. He's older, and I think he only had one year on his contract. But um, but everyone I mean, else, and then we ended up getting a discount because we sent Alonzo the other yes. way. It wasn't an out and out uh swap, but he was for sure on a discount because they got Alonzo across the line. Yeah, and that's true. Now imagine if um Zakaria stays healthy, he becomes an out and out games uh starting midfielder for us, and then it turns out he builds a real role in this team for thirty million solidified at the end of the season. Granted, I don't know what his wages are, but at this point, with much, as much money as we're splashing, I don't really care about wages anymore because it's not my job to worry about it. If he's contributing, pay him what he wants. But a $30 million confirmed transfer for a DM is great. Because not only that, we still need a second DM because every, every position will need two DMs. And Jorginho probably is not staying around after this season because by the sound of it, he's not getting a contract extension um, anymore. There had been rumors in the summer that he would have got some, but recent reports are saying it does not look like he is in any talks for contract extensions. Which He's not playing well. <laughs> yeah, because he's not playing well. He's had a bad start to the season. A lot of people have had a bad start to the season, and maybe it's just Tuchel's system not finally just breaking down. Everyone's learned it by now because um, kind of tying this into the West Ham game, the what did you notice West Ham had a box kind of a box defense right in the middle of the pitch where they basically had four players surrounding I think it was um I think it was like Kovacic and Gallagher just around them so so Ruben could not pass to either one of them through the middle and it kind of just forced all of our play to the wing now not every team does something like that but we naturally already play all of our like de- our build up play from through our wingbacks. We so seems like completely neglect playing centrally anymore. Like playing between the lines, playing line breaking passes. It feels like it's over the top or to the wings and cross it or nothing at all. Like we used to back in the day. And God, I'm just gonna. I know this is gonna sound horrible <laughs> to bring it up. Sorry, but I remember some days like Sorry had a great great couple of plays couple of games where you just saw 
flicks and tricks straight through the middle and everyone just running past the lines. And it was before Sorry too, but that was like prime Chelsea. That was like when you saw everyone just in sync doing one touch passes, getting through the lines, and then it and then goals, goals and goals and goals. We that was like some of the best play we saw. But now it seems like we only just build it out to the wing. You got Reese or whoever or Mount, whoever's on that right side, just kind of like cycling out between each other and seeing who gets enough space to swing it across. And the thing is, you're swinging it across to like back threes on average now with just just center backs. And then they have their central defensive men coming in. And then all those people are standing around Kai. And Kai Havertz is tall, but he's not great in the air and he's not strong enough to, to muscle off all those people. So you would think if we're just going to cross and pray so many times in a game, you think we at least play two people at the top. You think that we would at least like play a big striker or recruit someone like that. As much as Ronaldo was linked and I didn't want him here, that guy probably would have been the best person to come into this team and put away crosses because that seems like to be the biggest thing we do. And I don't understand why we don't get enough low crosses on the ground because it seems like to be the most effective um, that happens for us because Reese James has one of the best low crosses there is to get right past the defensive line. Well, um, into space. I'll tell you a couple reasons. I mean, you mentioned it. We go straight to the wings. And then the thing that happens there is that we all stand stationary. The right winger stays slightly forward of the wing back. And then the center mid start is lateral and the center backs behind. There's no line breaking runs from the midfield. There is no originality from the wingers. Cause if you're taking too long to get them the ball, they're facing away from goal, meaning they are instantly not a threat. Like the defense is not going to put any, they're not going to be on their heels if the front three is receiving with the back to goal. So I think part of that is, you know, and you saw it with Tuchel this weekend, specifically the video that went viral of him yelling at Gallagher, your midfielders can't be touching the ball eight times before just passing it outside. Uh, There should, by now there should be an obvious familiarity with where your wingbacks should be. And that should be a two, three touch progression. So by the time that Reese James does get the ball, the defense is in a full low block and they're like, oh, Reese has the ball. Let's just wait. We know where it's going to go. Nobody does anything too crazy in this system. So I think, yeah, the unfortunately, that is probably why you don't see cutback crosses on the ground as often as we probably should or would want to with somebody of Reese's crossing ability. And, and yeah, I mean, even the people, people were screaming for, I mean, Chilwell played amazing and maybe because he's not the wide wing back that spams crosses, he had the the chance to shine because with Cucurella I got repetitive because that's what we do tactically. And like you said, there's nobody in the middle. So yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a system and personnel issue. I don't say it's all one or all the other, but I'm hoping that the last three signings of the summer and Fofana, Zakaria and, and Aubameyang can help get a little bit of fresh air into the tactics and, and as well as what the, what the players themselves do with the ball. Yeah. And I'm hoping that with, if Zakaria really comes through and just starts getting into form, I'm hoping that's going to put Jorginho on the bench more, just allows him to rest. Maybe you want to bring Jorginho in for more champions league nights. Um, when they co- a p- pivot with him and Kovacic probably would be better needed. Um, but I think having Zakaria as a DM, you can bring Mason back into the midfield and then 
I would put him alongside Kovacic if Kovacic is healthy. If Kovacic is struggling, I would rather play Gallagher in there and see if Gallagher returns to his normal form. If not, then I would rather put maybe Ruben back in um into the eight because I think Ruben's having a decent season. I'd say he's faring better than Gallagher, and I think it's just because he can adapt a little bit more to being deeper in midfield, but Gallagher really needs that roaming range to go forward. And everyone talks about how much we lack creativity and we lack a creative midfielder. I don't really think we lack the creative midfielders. I think we lack the, the kind of system and formation that allows those midfielders to be creative because Mount is one of our most creative midfielders, but he's pushed to the wing most of the games. And when did he have one of his best games? When he dropped into midfield against Spurs. Gallagher is a good midfielder and he would help us in the press. But if you keep him like in the first half of the pitch, most of the time, He's not going to be able to do much. Now, he's still definitely in an adjusting period, and I definitely think he's going to need a little bit more games to really get into um into the swing of things. But that's more if he is going to be able to be in an eight position where he can push up. Because I really don't want to see him. I'd rather see him on the bench than I'd see him at a pivot at this point. So unless, like, that's what I'm really hoping about Zakaria. He's going to allow that ability to maybe shift the structure of this team. He might be the missing piece. And if he doesn't work out, then you know what? We can bring in Alvarez. We can bring in um, Edson Alvarez into the summer, or it's not summer, the winter. And I never thought that we would be able to secure him in um, the summer window because you know what's coming up? The World Cup. And you know what he is a huge starting piece for? The Mexican national team. And I knew that we were throwing money, 40, 50 million at them. Nah. Watch him thrive in the Mexican national team. Maybe they make it out of the group stage. I don't necessarily remember. Um, you have your World Cup book on you, so maybe you know what the group is uh, for them, and you can read it out. What are, What is Mexico's group right now? Uh, see if the, what their chances are making it out. Uh, Mexico is playing against Argentina, Saudi Arabia, and Poland. So I think on paper they're second or third best behind Poland, Argentina being the top team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think not just that. It was the last day of the window, and – it sucks that if we knew we needed a DM, we waited that long because if we would have given IX one week, they would have sold Edson Alvarez. We yeah. gave them 24 hours and, and sure mention, they signed a guy, but you, I don't think you, it was like a reactionary move on their part to sign that guy. Did you hear what happened them to the uh, to, to the Dutch national league um, about the transfer window? Uh, yeah. It got accidentally finished a day early by some sort of clerical mistake on their end. So they yeah. had to finish their window on the 31st instead of uh, September 1st. Yeah, which is freaking crazy to hear. I think I remember La Liga had something like that happen last year. But mm-hmm. yeah, that in itself was a big reason why Alvarez probably wouldn't get done because they couldn't just lose him without bringing somebody else in. Granted, Ajax has such an amount of depth when it comes to youth and the academy. I'm sure they could have brought somebody in. But um Nah, what's a bigger price um inflation than a good World Cup performance right. coming and not, up and, and being able to not price just match. that it's it's a winter window so in, immediately you add ten million to his price because it's a winter window. Uh, at the time when Van Dyke was signed for seventy five million, it was like what the hell? Like you guys are crazy, but it was a winter window. Like winter in its own is expensive because it's midway through the season. You only give the other team 
anywhere from two weeks to a month to adapt to what you're trying to do in terms of business then. And then you don't get a preseason for whoever you do bring to replace your player to, to sort of click. So yeah, I think that IX know exactly what they're doing. They're not dumb. They sold Anthony for a hundred million for crying out loud. So yeah, it sucks. I think they will budge and let the player leave, but it's going to be on their terms, not his. And I'm gauging that um, by that winter window, you're going to be seeing a 60 to 70 million price tag um, uh, boasted out there. If Mexico make it out of the group stage, I think they could. I mean, it really on Poland, it really kind of comes down to Lewandowski these days. If he shows up and he basically carries that team. Um, So he usually doesn't show up in tournaments. Just saying he's not a huge national team player. I mean, normally he thrives on the, um, the uh, nation's league games and just ones where it's not that big, but also with all respect to Poland, they really don't have that many great national team players. And I think Mexico has the type of unity and familiarity with each other, considering most of them play in the same league um, bar, a couple of um, their more offensive threats that they are going to probably be able to show up and take a second place, uh, a second place spot. So I definitely think that would raise Alvarez's price on top of the winter window tax. So you look at it like this, you've got a couple of windows um, or paths where this Zakaria move can go. He could work out and then you could pay 30 million in the next summer window. And then maybe they get Declan Rice too. Maybe they go in because I think at that point, Declan Rice has one year left on his contract and West Ham. No Declan will walk for free. If they push him to that, he will walk. He has all respect to that club um, for being a captain for years on them and for giving them great performances. But at the same time, he is not going to like commit his future long-term just because they won't sell him early. He will walk. It is. And then they're going to feel like the biggest idiots ever. And I dare you that fan base, if they see him walk for free, they will riot because the amount of money they could have gotten, but they didn't is crazy so you could have Zakaria work get 30 million and still get Declan Rice and you've got two I won't say world-class DMs because I won't know what Zakaria is like at that point but two elite DMs to be able to go for for the next several years because Zakaria is young I think he's like 25 26 or something like that maybe 20 maybe less so that is one way it could work another way is Zakaria is not good Zakaria doesn't work out Maybe the Premier League's not for him, or he gets hurt. In that case, then you probably get Edson Alvarez in the January transfer window um, if we are in dire need of it. Because if Zakaria doesn't work out, I feel like we will be in dire need of it. I am dreadfully scared yeah. of this midfield. Zakaria is only 25. He turns 26 in November. Um, again, I, I agree with you. I think the plan is to have two full-blown DMs, whether that's Zakaria plus one. Um, if the the want and desire to sign Edson Alvarez sticks to January and we do it. I honestly am going to start fearing for the possibility of Declan Rice because sure there's reports left and right that Tuchel's a fan and that everyone's a fan and that he's a Chelsea man. But if that's true, then, and we shelled 80 million on Fofana, we offered 90 million for Gavardio we over eh, overpaid up to, that that's up to discussion but paid a hefty fee for kukurea um 
why did we not try and shell out an official bid on Rice? I know West Ham didn't want to sell, but neither did Leicester. And we test their resolve. So I think like if Rice was always the ultimate goal, I don't know if Edson Alvarez rumors would be happening in January. So I'm starting to fear for that. I don't, I'm not saying that I'm like anti-Rice. I'm just, I'm not trying to get my hopes up anymore because I feel like we would have already done something or started negotiating for the next summer or next window. And, and, and I just haven't seen that yet. From what I've heard, it's that Bowley and them have, have called up the, the West Ham representatives and they essentially don't even have any foreplay of the conversation. They basically say 150 million or the conversation is over and the conversation's over at that point. That is what I've heard um, from people who have fairly good sources. And uh, what I take from that is that they are trying to have the biggest balls in the situation and say, we are the ones who have all the power and bullies over here like these idiots are going to let them walk for free. Like they are going to wait until um, and I think it's one year left on his deal. I think his contract ends summer 2024 as of right now. Yeah, uh, he I has think an that's option. Correct. He has an option for a year to extend. But I don't know if that is a club enforced option or if that is a he takes up the option of signing an extra. I think it's a player option because that's... the whole thing is that they were going to show him that they can build a champions league squad like champions league made squad maybe if they sold him then they could <laughs> but yeah so i think that especially with how they're doing lately you can see he's not been happy in press conferences he's been brutally honest about how poor the performances are and they've made some good signings skamakers could turn great uh lucas paqueta i love that type of signing so um they took emerson from us that's probably an upgrade on Cresswell. Um, or in Masawaku. So they're making decent signings, but it's not working out for them. And it's clear Declan is still open to coming to Chelsea um, or anywhere that really bids for him. And I guarantee you we will test the waters with 80, 90 million in the summer. And if they say no to that, I think we will be okay with that as long as no other club makes a major bid for him. Because if it's a open race when he's free, all we have to do is ask him and he will say yes. So I think that's what Bowley and co are feeling right now that it is easy to just sit back and let it happen because it's, I think West Ham are blindly fooling themselves. If they think Rice would stay at West Ham out of loyalty rather than walk to Chelsea in the free, which he would probably get more wages. He would get a lot more wages one day if it's a free. No, for sure. I and, and again, I don't know about the loyalty thing. I think he wants to stay in the premier league regardless. I just don't think, that in today's age loyalty trumps trophy success like i i it's as simple as that players have aspirations to lift trophies it's not just oh this is the team that gave me a chance and i'm gonna still stay here forever that's just not the way it works there's something called ambition and i think rice has it yeah now definitely well if we see it next season we have a midfield um where we have Alvarez or Zakaria on top of Rice. We maybe Jorginho has left by now. Conte might have left too, um, depending on his health and fitness for the rest of the season. We're feeling his, good. No, there's no talks and contracts there yet. The the last story was that it's a, almost like a known deal that we're gonna let Conte walk and, and decide his own future as of right now. Yeah. Which is okay. I mean, I don't as good as Conte is when he's healthy, I don't know if he's the type of player that did demands a huge fee 
if you're going to sign him from us at this point. I think at this point, we've gotten about as much value out of him as we can. It might be kind of like a signing of a Marcus Alonso goes to Barcelona as a last move of his career. And I granted Conte would bring a lot more value to a team like Real Madrid or someone else if they wanted to sign him for free or low money than Marcus Alonso would. Yeah. But it's just like, we're okay with it at that point because we're set. We're not like needing the funds to justify him leaving because right now let's look at the West Ham game. We lined up like a three, five, a three, five, two, but mm-hmm. we had Ruben as kind of a DM regista who didn't play awful, but at the same time, a couple of years ago, if you told me Ruben was going to be playing DM for us, I would have, I would have bet a lot of money that that would not have happened. And he right. played with uh, Kovacic and Gallagher ahead of him, which normally I wouldn't complain about too much other than Ruben is not a, that's basically playing three eights in the midfield with no real defensive presence that much. Not to mention um, that I would say, I don't know what's a more bold decision on Tuchel's part. And he's been making some really bold decisions lately. I don't know if it's a more bold decision playing kind of three eights in the midfield like that or two wingers as your strikers. Now, granted, I have more faith in Sterling playing like a off, like a second man off the normal striker kind of drifting around, but playing yeah. two wingers, especially an out of form Pulisic as your strikers against big men in defense. Like what, what was the thought of behind that? I mean, I, I mean, it's, I think the thought is that he knew he couldn't start Kai and Mount, right? Kai and Mount going, shooting blanks and goals and assists five games into the season is, is not a good sign. And, and on top of that, their performances, the last two matches weren't great. He was forced into that decision. And when you take out Mount, who's like a winger midfield hybrid, that means you have to add a midfielder. You also know you have no Conte. And you also knew that Jorginho was also not somebody that you'd probably play against a physical midfield like West Ham's. Now, Tuchel has tried Loftus-Cheek multiple times here, and I think he just does it because he's a big body. But I think we all know that his defensive ability is where he lacks. And, I mean, getting a yellow card in the 20th minute is probably where, as fans, were like... Oh, he got in the 10th. In the 10th. So that's what... that, That happened, and I was like, here we go again. I immediately, I was just like, another red card in midfield. Like, oh, that's just... not that's not to mention there was a point later in the game. I think he got he made a driving run into the box and he dove bad. I don't remember if it was in the box or not, but um, I don't forget somebody attempted to tackle on him, but they just basically stepped and missed him. And then you saw him just take a dive, and I was very <laughs> surprised he did not get a second yellow for simulation. And he also had a tackle later on that I thought, uh oh, this could also be a second yellow, but he's not a six. That is, again, I talked about it earlier. You're limiting. Why has he been so good at right wing back? It's because his whole job is to drive at people, dribble at someone, and then make something happen from there. Cause the 2v1 scenario after you beat someone on the dribble. And you mentioned that West Ham prepared for this possibility because it would have worked with Jorginho too if you just let the DM in this system have the ball, but block out his options afterwards. And I'd say that Jorginho might've had the the IQ to get himself out of that, but RLC struggled visibly by being both out of position and being 
you know, the center of the game plan for West Ham's defense. Yeah. And so here's something that I really struggled to understand. So Kai has had a very bad run of recent games, and it is very much understood he needed to be benched. Mason has had a fairly bad string of games. Being benched, understandable. You know who's Mm -hmm. been doing good every time we've seen a cameo from him? Armando Broya. But for some reason, he did not get the start in this game to even be up there. Now, if you showed me, I get maybe Broya's still raw. He hasn't had that much experience. But damn it, he is showing drive and passion that a lot of our players don't show. And I would have been so okay with a front two of Sterling and Broya up there versus a Sterling and Pulisic. Because Broya could have operated against Zuma, could have operated against the defensive guy, could have held up against the um, back to goal, could have let Sterling run off of him. And if there's something Sterling is good at, and I've seen this in games, his trademark, give and goes. He is good at breaking yeah. lines with give and goes. And if you could have given, and you know what? You know what helped get uh, Chilwell? The assist was Broya's hold up play. Broya's got that hold up play building up in him. He held it up on the wing, let Ben overlap. We got the we got the winning goal from Kai. And I don't understand why Tuchel seems to trust Ruben as a regista and Pulisic as a striker more than he could as Broya as a striker. And you know what I think? I think Broya is going to get benched again against Zagreb. I think Kai no, is going to end up st- no, no. I think Kai is going to start against Zagreb and it's going to make me really upset because even though he got that goal what else did Kai do that much? I mean, also, I mean, he came off the bench, right? I, I see. I think, I think slightly different. I think that Tuchel, Tuchel takes forever to trust these players, right? Like, yeah, the the youth, especially, we we call for it, we call for it, and, and then, for example, you talk about Loftus Cheek. He's built this trust that Tuchel trusted him to play the six. He's played the double pivot. He's played at right wing back. We've even seen him in the front three. Um, you see it with obviously Mount playing in the right side of the front three, the left side of the front three as a 10. Something he even did the double pivot a little bit. So you see those things. And and I think Broja earned his start. Like I think that against Southampton, it was a dead game and he was a bright spot. And then he might have just thought, okay, I don't know if Broja is out and out ready for perhaps maybe a low block with West Ham maybe he's just not quite ready for that, especially with our team playing badly overall. Like it's just going to be a disservice to him, but I think he'll start against Zagreb. I think it'll be both Broya and Kai, whether it's a three or a, a back four, because I also think Kai benefited from a big body next to him that was willing to do the hard work so that he could float about and get open in the box by himself. So I'm hoping it's both of them together, not one for the other. Now, a name that we talked about a lot earlier, but we haven't mentioned yet, is Aubameyang. Now, the fact that Aubameyang is coming in is going to make it a lot easier to play two stri- actual strikers. Okay, and Kai is not an actual striker, but he's been the closest thing we've had to one. Up top together now, instead of like Sterling and a striker together, um, so, because then we have Aubameyang who can come off the bench, and that's probably going to be the best mm-hmm. way to get them all minutes. Now, if I was to make a, a prediction for Zagreb, I think you're going to see a 4-2-2 with Chilwell, Koulibaly, Fofana, Reese. I think you're going to see Kovacic, Jorginho. And for the front four, I think you're going to see 
Sterling and Mount, or you know, I don't know why. I have this bad feeling Ziyech is gonna play. I don't know why. Well, I don't know if it's a bad okay. So here's my take on what it should be. I don't know if it should be maybe let's call it a four triple two, just for for sake, even though I think it'll look more like a four two three one because of how Kai plays and he'll be more behind the striker. But I could easily see Ziyech coming in on the right side since we lack creativity so much. And then you have, um, whether it's Sterling, whether it's Mount, hell, even Pulisic, it just depends how much does Tuchel rate Zagreb. And I don't remember. Oh, we have Fulham on the weekend. Mm -hmm. So it's like, does he prioritize the three points or does he prioritize um, a good start in the Champions League? Because I do think Sterling... I think Sterling could start over Pulisic on the left side, actually. The more I think about it, I don't think he needs quite the rest like somebody else might. But I could see it looking like that in a 4-2, triple two, whether it's Mount or Sterling on the left, but Ziyech definitely on the right because we've talked about it before. Champions League teams play us different than Premier League teams, and that's when your Jorginho's, your Ziyech's, your, your sort of niche players can shine a little bit more. And if you're going to put both Brogia and Kai, you talked about it earlier, two big bodies to take on the crosses and Sterling is a back post specialist. I just, it just makes too much sense to play Ziyech in this game. But here's my thing. I don't think he's going to play Brogia. I think he's going to play Kai and Sterling up top and then Mount and Ziyech in behind him, which is not what I want. I want Brogia up top and I'd rather him with Kai because I think them together, they could do really well. And obviously Bumming's not going to start. I'm pretty sure Zakaria won't start. No. Bumming will start. He'll be we'll, a. They, we'll probably see them both cameos. subbed. Yeah, we'll both see yeah. them subbed in. Imagine, but it would make no sense to me why Broya would not would not start this game, and and if it's just the lack of experience. All right, I hear that, but you know what? This is when he starts getting that experience. Because okay, if if he doesn't start this game, he has to start. Well, if he doesn't start this game, he probably won't start against Fulham. Because a bombing might be ready to start. Because right. might because and then you're gonna have a bombing and Kai push Broya down. And I'd rather have Broya out there than Kai at this point. Just based on form. I mean make Kai work back for it. Because after that, right. you have you have another uh game at Salzburg. That's not at Salzburg, sorry, you have a game against Salzburg at the bridge, and after that it's Liverpool, and then a big international mm-hmm. break. So right now, you have and we are in such a bad spot. In like in the league right now in terms of like form all because if we were winning these games we should have won if we won Leeds if we won Southampton we are making and I'm not saying we're making a case for being title contenders but we're keeping up with the top while like people like City United Liverpool are all dropping points but right now we've lo- we've been dropping with them we've lost six points to Leeds and Southampton which are two teams on paper we should not have dropped any points against. And right. if Fulham, we have to do that because Liverpool, I'm not expecting any points. As good as we've been against Liverpool in the past, in this current form, I am dreading that game, even if they have been off of it. Because if we know one thing, it's a game against Liverpool, we both show up to play. Right. And I believe a little bit more in their team than ours at this point. So and not to mention, we have to make sure we get these points against Zagreb and Salzburg. Because you know who else is in our in our group? Milan. You see Milan. Milan yeah. is in good form. They have been become a good team in Italy. 
So this is not something like competing with IX for the top spot of a group and trying to outdo them. Milan's going to be actual competition. Like we actually could get second place to them, but we need to get that first spot. And that makes sure coming, it comes down to making sure we get all three points against Zagreb and Salzburg. And right. And it feels like none of these games we have played lately have had any kind of confidence besides Spurs. I think Spurs is the only game recently I felt actual confidence in that. And we were cheated on that one. We were, were frankly cheated on that one. The West Ham game, we got lucky. We maybe shouldn't have won. And I want to talk to you about this. The VAR um, intervention that ruled out um, Cornet's goal. Do yep. you think it was justified or do you think it was a bad call? Um, Live, I thought it was a bad call. Moments after the game, I thought it was a bad call. And then when the, yesterday, there was a different angle of the video that I didn't see in the footage or right after the game that made me think, okay, mm, that that's a, a foul you can call. I think Mendy made every bit of it try to make it look worse than it was because at the end of the day, he was on thin ice and, you know, he has yeah. to do that. Um, the one that, honestly, that one could have gone either way. I think it's karma for Antonio being on the pitch when he scored. Because if we're going to talk VAR, a WWE chokehold should definitely be a second yellow card. A freaking reverse clothesline on Silva, man. Yeah, and even Silva was like, oh, he just wanted to hug me. Like, we know that foul, if he's a Chelsea player, gets called as a yellow. And it's one of those things where, like, I see the outrage online and, and even the refereeing decisions, like the refereeing committee coming back and, and, and making a statement. It's like, I cry more, cry, because we saw what happened against Spurs. We've seen the calls Liverpool and United have gotten in their favor for the better of three years now with the lines that you draw for them versus the lines you draw for us in offsides. So I have zero pity. I also think that that in the books is a foul. At the end of the day, the law of the land says that you can't step on a player, and he did. Call it a 50-50, but there is that moment where Mendy gets ball, and then he braces for his body. So he had time to win the ball and then see the contact come, and that to me is enough to where you can call that a foul rather than a 50-50 for the ball. And see, what I've heard some people argue is that Mendy lost that protection when he parried the ball away instead of catching the ball, which for one thing, I'm surprised he didn't just catch the ball and hold on to it. He looked like he wanted to push the ball away all the time because he did not have full control of that. And he lost it before uh, Bowen even made contact with him. Now that new angle that I saw, which seemed really weird because I was like, I didn't understand how Bowen's foot was even angled that direction um, right. in the second shot. But yeah, in the first one, it did not look like a real big foul to me, especially because Mendy had parried the ball away instead of like holding onto it. And like right. the foul made him lose control of the ball. But not and to mention, did you see I'm gonna talk about new shots? Did you see the replay of the first goal that um Antonio scored when somebody was shirt pulling Mendy's shirt back when they were all collapsing into the goal? Yeah, I, I saw that one too. Um, it's just 
it's almost tiring. Like Tuchel today was like, I'm not going to talk about referee decisions anymore. That one I can let slide because like when you're jumping into, when the keeper jumps into a crowd of players, the referee's not going to be like, Oh, somebody touched the keeper, you know? So I think that one I'll, I'll let slide. Although Antonio could have obviously not been on the pitch, but set piece goals. I'm not going to look at it for an excuse in, in the benefit of us conceding because our set piece play has been atrocious and it's, it's uh, responsible for 50% of the goals we've conceded like actually. And I think we're on pace to, to have a record of highest goals conceded from set pieces as for within the club. I don't know what it is in real life, but like at the, we're conceding a set piece goal a match. And that's inexcusable when you have a six foot five keeper, if you told me that he we were conceding because he gives the ball away with his feet, I'd be like, okay, but he's a monster. He needs to act like it. And and so yeah, that that replay I'm I'm not as fussed by because the that just goes back to set piece issues overall. Yeah, and it really seems like so, Mendy has been iffy ever since AFCON, but he just seems like he has no confidence in to dictate his box because that man should be rising above everybody punching balls away left and right, but he looks like he struggles to rise above anybody else most of the time. Like, he gets manhandled, and I'm really worried now. I do want Kepa to start against Zagreb, I think, because I think Mendy needs a rest, but also, if Zagreb just takes long shots and beats Kepa left and right, I think we're we're back to saying, yeah, Kepa's just <laughs> not, is just so um, at a disadvantage just because of his own height. Mm-hmm. That if a team is just going to tactically plan to just take all those type of shots to outdo him, then you just got to hope that Mendy can pull through as your number one because he can't just let that be the tactical plan every time. But I'm just worried, um, and it's going back to like Mendy making a lot of mistakes, but also all these VAR like checks, interventions, these controversial calls that could have happened, all of these like game deciding calls of recent matches with mainly this game spurs um i can't even remember if there was one against southampton but i wouldn't be surprised if there was they kind of decided the match uh, against us but we have been playing so long with we've been playing matches so long that there is no how leads did to us we have not done to anybody else. We have not done any indisputable game like play against somebody to where VAR can't decide a game for them or for us. There has been no like it's seriously, it's just like how City plays. City plays their style of of ball every game and they dominate. And no matter how many how much hard VAR tries, they don't leave it to having to get a game-winning decision or goals that are just can be basically um, snuffed out by VR. We don't play enough indisputable play and indisputable goals that it's in our power to win games and to finish them on because we are we are having to score all these goals that have the ability just to be reviewed by VAR because of offsides, because of a foul, and I'm tired of it because I don't want to be bitching at the ref. I don't want to be bitching at VAR for every game out. I want to have, I want to play so well against somebody that they look at that and they don't even bother to try and check it for any reason. 
it's because it's indisputable. And that's what I want so badly for this team to get back to is playing so well with each other that the goals that they score are indisputable. That's the word of the, yeah. that's the word of the episode. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I was calling for that this past weekend, and I think we're going to have to go through a run of tough wins to get to it. Like I, to use last season as an example in the fall, whenever first month came out, Lukaku gets hurt. Kai's playing in the false nine. There was a period where we were winning by this thread of like a wing back goal. And then we won like five games in a row or something. And then come October, we blew up and we scored four on Juventus, seven on Norwich. Like, I think you need to get the confidence first because I, I don't think there is any confidence. I think there was times where even in the Southampton match, which was even earlier, where our attackers aren't trusting other attackers. There was a specific run of play I can remember with Ziyech cutting inside and Sterling making a run away from goal. And Kai is through on goal and he decides to play Sterling out wide away from danger, essentially. So... I think you need to get the good vibes going, get the results in play first. They can be ugly, one nils, two to ones, whatever it takes. And then we can get back to that because I do think our attack is very, very um, low on confidence. And I also think Tuchel is low on confidence on them because you see some attackers decide to turn backwards, dribble backwards before even taking somebody on. It's little things like that, that just, you would think, is in their arsenal in their in their kind of tool belt but the moment they think a fear of losing possession comes they avoid it and i think that just getting the results in and feeling invincible again it will go a long way towards smacking a team so yeah i i I think it'll give it give us four more matches before we can ask for that confidently and i know there's been a lot of I wouldn't say overreaction because I think there's a lot of justified reaction to the recent um, spell of matches that we had, but maybe there is some grace that we can give the fact that the transfer window just actually ended. And now we actually have our finalized team. And maybe now we have to say, let's give it three or four matches to see how a strong 11 actually looks like for us. Yeah. Cause maybe now that we have Zakaria, Maybe we see it shift back to a 4-3-3 or something. Maybe now that we have a bombing, we see him start more and he actually starts yep. putting away a lot of chances that Kai has. And then maybe a lot of these conversations um, that we've had for the past few weeks, maybe they kind of seem redundant because maybe we're back to different ways. And I think maybe a reason why we're just so frustrated right now is because even when we don't have these other players, it doesn't feel like we have a plan for how to operate when we're shorthanded. And it's like, I the, agree with that. And if the plan is to only thrive when you have all the tools in your tool belt, then how the heck are you going to survive when you're, you're back against the wall, you lose a player like Reese James, or you lose, like said, what if Mendy got injured and kept his in goal every game, or if no one in the front three are going to, is going to score any goals, how are you going to adjust? And that's the thing that scared me the most about Tuchel is he doesn't seem like he can adjust anymore. Instead, if he's waiting for everything to fall into our lap and then put those pieces together. And that's what I really just want to know is when our back's against the wall, when we're faced with adversity again, how are we going to, how are we going to prepare ourselves to still push forward instead of saying, 
okay, this is not our season. We're just going to write this one off, try again. Or instead of that, how are we going to push forward and say, no, we have got to make it happen? Because, like, times like when we have – when was the last time when we were really struggling? Was it when we had Reese out for a long time and Chilwell? Was it last Yeah, I, I would say that. And then Timo and Kai both had COVID at the same time. Um, I'd say that that's, yeah, the last bad spell, which was like late November, early December. But the one thing that I want to say in your point, I think it's the opposite of the fact that Tuchel isn't adapting. I think that Tuchel has to come up with a new game plan almost every week because our midfield can't stay healthy. And I think he should have taken a page out of Klopp's book and gone back in the media and be like, shit, y'all are right. I do need another midfielder because we went into the summer and sure we got, we replaced Christensen. We replaced Koulibaly. We, we brought Kukureya because we didn't know when Ben Chilwell would be healthy again. We got Sterling to bring in a new attacker that fits what Tuchel wants to do and got rid of Lukaku. Like, these all let's say Raheem is actually Timo's replacement and Aubameyang is actually Lukaku's replacement. Let's put it that way. And then the only midfield addition was Zakaria for Saul, which isn't really uh, anything you were looking to replace. And you added Gallagher. So I think, and, and this is me maybe being optimistic, but I think this is the season where we will see our quote unquote identity officially build where we can do what you said city and your liverpools do and your even your arsenals at this point where you know city's going to run a 4-3-3 you know arsenal's going to run a 4-2-3-1 and i think we're finally sort of at that point because you have your center backs that you wanted whether it's in a back three or a back four you have your fullbacks and they're healthy now the only one that you can say is you don't have cover for reese that's what i'll give you but you have a DM that you can probably go through the growing pains in now. And then you have enough eights to field three teams. So what are you going to do with those pieces? And and that's where we'll see. You, you mentioned the, the, the window's over. So now these players that wanted moves, you can either work your butt off and wait for January. Or if you want to be toxic, you'll go play in the academy team. And then you just ruin your own stock. So we should see better performances even from the players that didn't want to be here. And we should start seeing consistency. You mentioned the starting 11. I'm thinking more system-wise. Is it going to be a back four? And then the back three is plan B when we are by far the lesser team. What are we going to do? Because if we keep doing what we're doing, Thiago Silva will definitely not make the end of the season. Jorginho is on the brink of a breaking point at, at this moment. He was extremely healthy last year, but he's another year older and he's already playing awful. So I, the way I see it is that give it not this week. I, I I think we're about to see kind of what Conte, the Conte moment, the, the infamous Alonzo three fingers up in the air sub. I think that moment is coming, but I don't think it's happening tomorrow give it two more weeks because Aubameyang and Zakaria have yet to train and Tuchel is methodical in, in, in wanting to implement the tactics. So that 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2, whatever it, it is that it's going to be, I think it's coming. And and buckle up because your favorite player might not be on the pitch anymore. And if results are coming, I don't care. Like As simple as that. Like If, if it means that 
that Kai and Mount are going to split time, but we're killing everyone, so be it. And, and that's where I'm kind of at right now because if Ten Hag with two subs, unpopular subs at that, can make United look better, even though they're playing just counter ball, like if that's it, like the players came in, Bowley did his part. It's now on Tuchel and he has options now and the options of, of what we think he wants to do. We saw three, one, four, two at times this weekend. Maybe Zakaria should have been the one instead of Jorginho or RLC. So again, I think that the time for us to be an actual identity rather than a group of talented players is finally coming. Well, let's say this. We have about two weeks with our new players and the rest of the squad to experiment and figure out what we want to do. And that is two weeks. We have Zagreb, Fulham, and Salzburg. It's about as good of a lineup of teams as you can get to kind of experiment and tweak what you want and figure out how to move going forward. And after mm-hmm. just under that two-week window, you have Liverpool. That's going to be your big test. And in Liverpool, you see if you can put it together or and you figure out what you need to change if it doesn't work. And then after that, you got two weeks off. You got an international window where we're probably going to lose some of our players just to pointless friendlies. And you get Tuchel can go to the drawing board, figure out what he wants to do. Because when October hits, that is when we have to get serious. Because you have Crystal Palace, Milan, Wolves, Milan, Villa, Brentford, and then Salzburg, um, and then Brighton. Those are all in October. That is a full month, and I wouldn't write off any of the teams. Salzburg, I might feel like, is the easiest game. But those games, that can be a huge month to determine how we go. You're going to play, you're the toughest team in the group, twice within one week because it is because we're pinched all these games together because of the world cup. So you play Milan on the 5th of October and then the 11th of October. That's not something you normally have to do. Crystal palace, tough team. Don't underestimate them. Wolves, tough team. Don't underestimate them. Villa, they show up on their day. I think they just tied city. Didn't they one, one and maybe should have won. Yeah. Yeah. After an awful performance to Arsenal. Yeah. That's a tough game. Brentford, you got Ivan Tony, who just bagged a hattie like it was nothing, did some crazy goals, and he's in great form. Don't sleep on that. Because Brentford, was Brentford the team that battered us 4-1 last last spring? I think it was Brentford that we just got smacked 4-1. We got completely smacked. But that was a back four with Alonzo and Aspie at fullback. I had this conversation with someone on Twitter. It was... Aspie and Alonso in fullback. It was a midfield three with RLC at the base. <sighs> the midfield was atrocious too. Well, I, I scrubbed I, it. And then the front memory. three was something like, like Werner, Werner Ziyech Kai up front. It was, it was a bad lineup. Like looking back at it, that I was so happy to see a back four, and then you see it, and you're like, oof, that is that is not good. So, yeah, as much as I hope for a back four, every time we've gotten it, it's gone terribly wrong. And it's probably because of that DM we're lacking, but um, of course we we play. And I think that goes back to what I was saying, right? So like Tuchel has had to build a system that is low risk because the moment we risk, uh, try risky passing transition, we're screwed. And we saw it at Southampton. So I also think that 
not having a DM and people are like, oh, that's not the answer to everything. But when Conte's healthy, you see a better Chelsea. Like if we have that guy to clean it up, the attackers are more willing to mess up. Because at the end of the day, when you attack, and, and this goes back to like Thierry Henry said this about uh, Guardiola's like unbeatable Barcelona sides, right? He teaches you what to do the first two thirds of the pitch. And I think under Tuchel, we do that part great. He said that Pep in the final third, zero coaching, zero. Because you don't want scripted play around the box. You want the creativity, the chaos to take over. And I think that Tuchel, unfortunately, because of what he had at his disposal with Jorginho's limitations, has scared our attackers into being original, into trying something crazy. That, for example, that pass, I think it was week one or week two that KDB did through like four players, including a player's legs to Bernardo Silva. You don't see that at Chelsea because it's a risky pass. If you lose it there, who's going to help you get the ball back? Gallagher got a red card trying to do something like that when we lost it. Southampton dicked us. There's no other way to say it. Every single chance that RLC messed up a pass, Aspie messed up a pass, or Jorginho messed up a pass, we were in our heels. And I think having that guy that knows that my job is to play it simple to the guy that can then push it forward will go a long way. Matic and Fabregas. Beauty. It was great to see that um, under under Mourinho. And then evolve it into a back three with Conte. All they ever did was let's get it quickly to the front three. And Hazard knew that he could mess up because Conte and Matic were behind him. It, it's, it's a domino effect of what the confidence of having a guy there whose job is to help you not defend will, will do for this team. Yeah, and so that's why I really hope we do see Zakaria against Zagreb because I really want to know what kind of as, as essence he kind of brings to the team. And if he does well against Zagreb, I would like him to start against Fulham. I really would. I would love to see how almost a diamond of, or not a diamond, a triangle of him, Koulibaly, Fofana, or maybe even Silva can handle like a Mitrovic because Mitrovic is in crazy form. He's He's doing really well. All the rest of Fulham, I wouldn't say I'm too scared about. But, I mean, if he can shut down Mitrovic, I think we have a good shot against them. But, like I said, you have about two weeks to figure out how to make this work and then try it out against Liverpool. And after that, go back to the drawing board because October, that is when we have to get serious to have a good – that's when we have to start. Because if we start dropping points against all those teams, then we are – we're really struggling. I mean, not to mention, because if we drop points against Milan, like, say, if we lost both t- games against Milan, all we would have to do is probably draw one match against Salzburg or Zagreb, and we would drop into third, I think, depending on mm-hmm. how um, how the rest of them were doing. If one of them, what I guess you would hope for is that Zagreb and Salzburg keep drawing each other. Because if one team loses every game, then that's going to be much harder um, for second place. But I don't want to even think about that. I don't want to be... Super well, negative. I'll, I'll, I want to pose one more question for you because okay. you, you kind of put me in a spot where I was like, okay, would it be the worst thing? We are a team in transition and we don't think Zakaria as of right now is an elite DM. Would it honestly be the worst thing possible to get bounced to the Europa League, 
to make the tactics work on paper against crap opposition and secure top four. Just for this season, we know Big Buck's Daddy Bowley is going to spend money. We know he has a plan. He's looking for the DOF. He's already fired Scott, Mc... I can never say his name right, the director of scouting. A plan is coming. The future is secured. Reese on a seven-year contract, Borja on a six-year contract, Bofan on a six-year contract, Cassidy, Chukomeka, all on a six-year contract, Mason almost on a six-year contract. Long-term, we're coming. We're, we're The long-term is set. The now is now the tactical side of things. Is Tuchel the guy that's going to put an identity on this team? And if he is, would it be so bad? Like, obviously, I don't want to lower our standards. I think we should try and win everything. But if the if the consolation prize is that we secure Champions League and we do sort of what Arsenal got to do last season, which is grow through the pain and now they're playing pretty well and you know what their style is, would that be the absolute worst? Well, I'd say this, that if we manage to drop into Europa League, it's going to be poor probably for confidence from the team just from dropping down until they start getting wins on wins. But the wins might not even mean that much if they're against heart, um, lower name teams. It's not going to look good for Tuchel from, from Bowley or from the fan base because the fan base are probably more angry at Tuchel than they've ever been before. I are, I think we arguably have more fixtures if we went down to Europa League than we would in Champions League. I think there's an extra round. I'm not positive about that. But all the more all the further traveling, I feel like we would have to do to all the lower name teams. It would make it harder for us, especially with a congested schedule. But not to mention, you have to win Europa League to get Champions League because I think what you're saying is we're, we're getting top four. That was the, that was the caveat. You get the okay. Top that's four. the caveat. Well, here's the thing. And, would... and also, and also, you're only coming into Europa League during the elimination matches. So the trans the transportation is no longer going to Uzbekistan to play. Who was it? Karabag? Yeah, someone like that. It, it'll it'll come back in towards Western civilization Europe. The okay. further you are, again, this is this is obviously worst case, making the best out of the worst case scenario on my end. Like, I'm just saying, if if that's what we come out of from this season, and and mind you, January you signed Edson Alvarez, and now we are a staple four two three one four triple two or four three three team. That would be the most, uh, the closest thing we've been to a uh, present and future plan as as ever in the past, I don't know, eight years as a Chelsea fan. More, because there's no carousel of coaching, which also leads to no carousel of tactical deploying. Because, I mean, if I go back as far back as Ancelotti, Ancelotti was 4-3-3. Then when we won the Champions League post Ancelotti, 4-2-3-1. 4 one stuck around through Di Matteo, um, Benitez, and Mourinho. And then we scrapped it, 3-4-3. Scrapped it, 4-3-3. Scra- or scrapped it again, 4-2-3-1 under Lampard slash 3-4-3. And then back to the three at the back for good. So... So far, too, there's a there's been a high recruitment in eights. There's been a high recruitment in center backs, and then in the youth side, you got Omari Hutchinson, who's a true winger, 
Sterling's a true winger that can be inside forwards, both in their own respect. Broja, true nine. It's just like the pieces are are there to to start the funnel into a, a true project. And and honestly, that's my big question mark this season. Can I say at the end of the season that Tuchel has a plan and we're now seeing it rather than is Tuchel just going week by week and putting what's healthy out on paper? Yeah, I definitely hope by the end of the season, I actually understand what his plan is. But to kind of go back to your question, I would say this. I feel like it'd be more fortuitous for us if we got out of the Champions League and lost in the first round out of it. So we just don't have those games anymore. And we we can field uh, players that need some extra minutes during the cup games, but we more just focus on the league. And then we have less games in our schedule. Because I think... Mm-hmm. Because I think if you look at it, we have a good chance of making it to the latter stages of the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. And then not to mention, if if we went to Europa League, we have a good chance of making it to the latter stages of that. That's going to be a lot of games towards the end of the year when we're trying to finish up the league. God knows how injuries will be and everything like that. So if anything, I'd say in a transitional season or rebuilding, figuring out things out, I feel like the less games we have, the better. So you have a lot of people who are healthier they're on Mm -hmm. less minutes so they're not as tired and that you're getting more consistency with who is being going out there so you have a better idea what your starting 11 is because the more games you have the more you have to chop and change based on who's healthy and who's injured etc etc yeah I, i guess my my devil's advocate to that is then you would only see a group of 14 guys and then you don't get to give your heart. Well, Harvey Vale's now on loan. Your Chukwameka, your Cassidy, your Amari Hutchinson, a chance of show us what you got, kid. Which under the last time we got to really do this was under Sari in Europa League when Cho got midweek minutes as a starter every single week. So I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately, in the Carabao Cup because we're facing City. That's a tough ask. If we somehow manage the result there, then who knows? Maybe we can use that for youth. Same with FA Cup. Um, but again, I'll take that. I'll take that if it also means that those guys get to come in as subs in low pressure situations versus our guys need a complete break and we can't drop results. So go out there, 18 year old. Go represent Chelsea. That's also only if you can guarantee Tuchel would field those youth players in Europa League games. He might just take it seriously and just field all of our strong people as well. He might give more minutes to just Chalaba, Ziyech, Pulisic, Asby, um, Kappa. You might just see those kind of players getting more minutes, yeah. and you might just see 10-minute cameos from Chukomeka or I don't even know if anybody else is – Available to come in these days besides Chukameka as far as youth goes. We lost Billy and Ampadu. I'm still butthurt so, about that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm upset because I highly rate Gilmore. The only way I'm going to get over that is if we're truly going for a 4-3-3 more than a 4-2-3-1. Yeah. Because that, to me, says that we'll be sort of more like a, like a Liverpool or City where – the creativity comes from further up the pitch than from 
the back end like in a four two three one because yeah. because Billy's big thing is that he's a deep lying playmaker and Norwich tried using him as more of an eight slash ten, which is where it kind of went downhill for him. I think he'll play deeper in the setup for Brighton and succeed. If we're trying to stay in that three four three or three four two or three four one two or four two three one, then I'm gonna be extremely pissed off because I I do think that would have been an easy fit. Now, if it's gonna be a four three three where the three midfielders are more engines, more bodies, more workers than technical players, then I see the hesitancy to commit to Gilmore long term because it could have been what I was just arguing against. The fact that we were just putting in the next healthy body and slowing down what the team's vision is for now and tomorrow for the benefit of the one player that we have healthy. So I am a huge Gilmore stand. I hope he does great at Brighton. If we see the four, three, three as the, as the go-to, I get it. That that's my like, okay, I can go to sleep in peace yeah. knowing that Billy's better off. And so are we, but I'm and not there yet. And that's what I thought was probably the reason maybe <laughs> Billy was going to go out was because 4-3-3 seems more likely when we brought Zakaria in or we wanted Alvarez. But at the same time, I got kind of uh, misleading signals or mixed signals from uh, Tuchel with all this stuff about us trying to get De Jong and trying to pull De Jong in. Because I saw De Jong, I was like, there's no way he's playing him as a lone DM for this team. He's definitely right. trying to stick to the pivot for a long term um, for that. So that's why I was so adamant that why aren't you keeping Billy here um, when he's the best step to Jorginho before all this deadline day stuff happened with Alvarez right. and Zakaria. So that's my biggest yeah, thing it, is that it, I've not been able to tell what kind of plan Tuchel has because it seems so unclear and he sent all these mixed signals. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that we just will never know because Boley tried getting Ronaldo. And he pushed for Ronaldo. And then Tuchel was like, no. So was De Jong another one of those things where Bowley's as a more perhaps naive footballing mind was like, I know this name. This is a big name and it's available for the right price. Was it one of those situations more so than Tuchel speaking up? And and we won't know because like you said, we've seen a little bit of both this summer. We've seen arguments that the 3-4-3 is here to stay based on some. And now we're seeing arguments for the back four to come because even when he didn't have the bodies he's been trying to switch to a back four so i think we will know a little bit more once we do hire that dof and director of scouting but again the zakaria signing not like day young true dm there so yeah so i think these next couple of games we see against uh zagreb fulham and salzburg can maybe give us a little more positive attitude and assuming we win them all and just Maybe we get a little more key uh, idea about the direction, but let's round out this episode with a um, with a uh, lineup prediction against Zagreb. So, what? I don't know how I want to do this. Um, what should we do? Rather, what we want the starting eleven to be, or what we think the starting eleven will be? Um, let's go with the eleven. The eleven. I mean, the eleven will tell you the formation. I think. Wait, what? I no. I said which one? Do you, the one the eleven? You think you you think it will be, or oh, that you oh, want oh. it to be? I well, let's go with the one we think it'll be because okay. it those are two different. Those are. Like, I want to keep it realistic. <laughs> yeah, you said you said the eleven at first. I'm like, isn't it eleven either way? But okay, yeah. um, I'll let you go first. 
Okay. Uh, I think Mendy still starts against my own wishes. Reese on the right, Fofana, Koulibaly. And based on some comments from Tuchel, I think Cucurella still starts. Um, then I think it'll be Kovacic, Jorginho at the base. And then I think it'll be Sterling, Havertz, Siesh, Roya up top. I think it'll be some sort of 4 triple 2 4 2 3 one hybrid. Kovacic, Jorginho has worked in Europe a lot. And I think Zagreb isn't going to compress us. I think they're just going to absorb, which should help that midfield um, not have to run too much. So for me, it's a 4 triple 2 4 2 3 one hybrid with a bit of rotation. Okay. I think he will start Keppa. I think it will be Reese, Fulfana, Koulibaly, Chilwell. I think it will be Jorginho, Kovacic, and Pivot. I think it will be kind of a 4-2-2-2. I think you're going to see Mount and Ziyech as kind of the cams. And I think you're going to see Sterling and Kai up top. I think that's what it's going to be. Be interesting to see which it is. I would rather see one where Broya is up there. But I'm not... I don't know, man. I seriously am so pessimistic about Tuchel believing in him and others at this point that I six year deal though. uh, Yeah. A six year deal. But you also could say that you've given him the six year deal. He doesn't have to have to work for it necessarily, or you could say he's more eager than ever to work for it. So it can be either one, but um, I'm excited also because I'm happy because since it's uh, tomorrow, I get to work from home and I get to watch it. So eager to see that, but uh, yeah. Any final comments before we sign off? I'm excited for Champions League to be back. That's all. Ready to hear that anthem. But thank you again, Andres, for uh, hopping on. And I appreciate always talking to you. It's always a joy. Um, are you getting, by the way, are you getting the new FIFA? Uh, yeah, I always do. <laughs> okay. Well, I <laughs> once I move so f- into my house, I'll buy it. Well, I haven't so far. So um, let me know how it is. And <laughs> Let me know if we get screwed over again in um in our Chelsea rating. So I'm sure we'll hear those shoes. But thank you again for hopping on. Thank you again, listener, for um listening to this episode all the way through. Um, more than likely it's probably gonna be a post pod um after Fulham based on how things are going. We'll talk about Zagreb and Fulham. But yeah, until next time, stay true, stay blue. Hey everyone, Trey back here. Um, a little side note here at the end of the show. If you're listening to this, you probably listened to the episode I just recorded with Andres. And I wanted to tell you about a cool podcast that if you are listening to this, you should definitely check out this other podcast called Blues on Parade, a Chelsea FC podcast. Available to you on all your general platform needs from Apple Podcasts to Spotify to Google Podcasts. I'm sure they have one. But Andres is a co-host on there, and we weren't able to talk about it um, at the end of the show because he had to get off. But I thought it only fitting that Andres gave me the time to come on to my show. That gave Andres a little bit of time just to tell you. Go to check out his show. We've got a lot of episodes on there. They upload regularly and is a great show. I can definitely testify it. But yeah. Go give them a shout and thanks again till next time.